welcome to the right focus, Derek. Thank uh, you. Do you write under the name Derek Wheelis? Yes, I do, Derek. I use my middle initial also, Derek D. Wheelis. Okay. Well, introduce us. Uh, introduce yourself to the audience here. Okay. Well, uh, so uh, I've had two previous uh, uh, occupations, I guess you might say, uh, two previous lives. One was I actually used to be in church work for about 15 years, and then I left that and I went into public ed. Uh, for 15 years also, and then I left that to start writing, and so I've been learning to do that. You know, when I was, uh, I was a teacher. I was an elementary teacher, and then I was a school administrator, and when I was in the classroom, I read a lot of books to kids, and when I was a, we would, you know, we called them chapter books, right, because it's third mm -hmm. graders, and we're moving from picture books to chapter books, and then, um, which were, you know, small novels, and then uh, when I was an administrator, I would walk into a classroom and read uh, picture books to kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in all those years of reading books to kids for 15 years, and then, of course, to my own two, I have an eight and a 10 year old and two older ones as well. All those years I had never worked on or never realized how those books were put together. I had never deconstructed one. And mm -hmm. uh, so I've spent the last several years just learning about story structure and how those stories get there. And it's, it's just fascinating. It changes the way you read books and yes, it, changes, it, does. it changes the way you watch movies. And yes, even, it can ruin movies for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 it does. Because you know what they're doing. And even my uh, eight-year-old, uh, sometimes when she would cry when she was a little bit younger, about three, three or so years ago, and she would cry at the end of the movie, I would walk in and I'd say, what's going on? And my older one would say, oh, it's the final battle. And so she <laughs> using some story structure to tell me why the little one was crying. And so, right. uh, but it's, it's just a fascinating journey. It's my most favorite thing I've ever done in my life is to, mm -hmm. uh, is to put together a story. Hopefully yes. that someone else enjoys. Yes, hopefully. Well, what books have you written? Do you have them to show us? I do. So I have uh, I have my first novel just came out. So it's a debut novel and it's called uh, We Planned a Murder. Ooh. <laughs> and it's a YA noir. Noir. Yeah. You know, it's a yeah. YA noir. It's sort of got that noir vibe to it. Uh, it's about a teenage boy who um, lives in a town and of course he hates it and he's living with his grandmother but he likes to solve mysteries, but he wants to get out of the same old rut. First of all, he wants to get out of 10 spot. That's his town. It's a small town in central Texas. And mm -hmm. then he wants to get away from his grandmother. He just wants something different. And then he gets pulled into a mystery that seems like it may be over his head. And so he has to figure that out. And, and, wow. and uh, like I said, it's a kind of a, uh, has a real noir, noir vibe to it. And well, uh, a teenager, is perfect for that, that angst that you always see in those film noirs. Yeah, that's right. There is a lot of angst to this whole thing. And so I'll tell you, this actually started out as a picture book. And oh. I was going to write a picture book about a little, um, little, little detective, little kid, probably third or fourth grade and, and let him uh, try to solve mysteries. And then as I started writing, it became too many words. It went way over a thousand words. And so oh. I thought, oh, I'll make this a chapter book. And so I got it up to 10,000 words and I took it to an, uh, to an agent and she, she said, oh, I like this idea. She said, you know, the whole Pulp Fiction film noir kind of thing. She goes, but I see it as a middle grade book. Go back and add 40,000 words to it and get back with me. I was like, okay. 
So I went back. And in the meantime, I'm still learning how to do this whole thing. Right. So I went back and I started working on it. And the more I worked on it, the more I thought, I don't want this to be a middle grade book. I want this to be a dark, gritty YA book. I want to be able to do everything that you can do in an adult novel. And so right. it got sort of jacked up from a picture book for kids <laughs> to a, an older YA book. And, right. and so, and I think it found its place. That's, that's really, it grew up as I grew, it grew mm-hmm. up and I think it found its place. The other thing I've done uh, so far is a short story um, called Think of the Children. And it's in this book right here. This is a collection of short stories called Malice in Dallas. And it's published by Sisters in Crime, the North Dallas right. chapter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we just did our first anthology last year, and we're doing another anthology this year. I'm about to submit another story. I hope it makes it in there. And I like it. It's, it's way different. Uh, this one's very contemporary. Well, this, this book over here is very contemporary as well. But this is um, kind of different from uh, this one here about Nacho. And um, uh, the next one will be different as well. So, Right. Right. Well, it's good that you're exploring new things. Yeah, yeah. And I still have, have my them. I Go still ahead. have my picture book idea. <laughs> I still I'm working on a little picture book, but man, those are hard to write. Those yeah. picture books are hard. You just have so mo- you have so many limitations with yes. the words and every single word has got to really carry its own weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- so I've got one I'm working on. It's a rough draft, but I'm not happy with it yet. So I'm going to keep working on it. Well, actually, that probably is very good. Uh, to work on a picture book because it teaches you a lot about type writing. Yes. Um, which uh, when I taught, I taught composition for 30 years and my students had the most difficulty with type writing. They would want to say, we'll be going. And I'm going like, just, just say you went, yeah. <laughs> you know, don't, right. don't, don't go into all those other, other details. And That's I see right. that a lot in other, in books that I'm picking up that are indie published um, mm-hmm. and some yes. that have been traditionally published yes. the writing goes on into much many more words than is needed and yes. so they would need to practice that skill that you're learning with the picture right. book that's right now you know my book was uh is an indie book yeah and and so i'll, I'll tell you uh, I learned to cut a lot of words out, but I will tell you the biggest thing that helped me with this book. This book would not be what it is without my uh, developmental editor. And his name is right. Jimmy Calloway. And I owe everything to Jimmy because Jimmy got down and dirty with the book. And he would say, cut this chapter, cut this chapter. You don't need that chapter. And man, we, we were just slashing things left and right. And then he would say, uh, you, you've got a character here that doesn't come in until halfway through the book. So we've got to bring that character in and you got another character that I think you're missing an opportunity with. So bring that. And then he was cutting words and slashing them. And so just when I thought I had it good, Jimmy found a way to make it better. So right. uh, that was really helpful for me. Well, that was, that's a good bridge crossing aspect to use a developmental editor to move that first book into a publishable form. Yes. You see him um, helping you in the next, two or three books? Oh, absolutely. And, and I've already talked to him about it. I, uh, I will tell you this, just like everything else has been a journey on this and just the most wonderful journey, more, it's been so much more enjoyable than when I learned to, you know, I said my first 
life was doing church work. It was, Mm -hmm. and my second life was public ed. This has been the most fascinating journey. It just has really resonated with me, but it's all been a journey of discovery. And Jimmy was my fourth developmental editor I went through. And I had to find one that understood this kind of material. My first one, uh, I love her books on writing. I'm not going to mention her name, but I love her books on writing. I learned a lot from her, but she was not the right developmental editor for this book because she didn't quite get the genre of the whole uh-huh. thing. And so, um, and I still, I, like I said, I love her books. I appreciate her very much. But, uh, and then I went through a couple of others and, and then I stumbled across Jimmy and Jimmy was the one, he, he just got the kind of material. So I, one of the things I learned is that not only do you need a developmental editor, but you need the right one right. and they're not all equal. And I'm, I feel very, very fortunate to have Jimmy. Right. Do you see yourself using him 10 books down the road? Absolutely. If he'll take, if you'll keep taking me on, I'm working on, an, I'm working on another one right now. It's more of a traditional mystery. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, this one you might say is sort of, uh, in the vein of Sam Spade and the Maltese. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Dashiell Hammett wrote that. All right. So then one I'm working on right now, and I really didn't intentionally do this. It just dawned on me one day. The one I'm working on right now is about a couple who goes to a hotel and stumbles into a mystery and mm-hmm. solves the mystery together as a couple. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that goes back to the kind of sort of the Thin Man, Dash, another right. novel, Nick and Nora Charles. Right. The Thin Man. And I always like their playfulness with each other. They yeah. were a couple that got along. And that's yeah. kind of hard to re- uh, find sometimes today. But, yeah. uh, and I think what I would like for it to be as a novel that appeals on a lot of different areas. One, it'll be more of a, it's a puzzle mystery, which is always fun. And also it will be uh, a relationship that I think many people, even men, I know women do often, but even men, I think would like to be in a relationship with someone that they get along with and they can have fun with on a day in day out basis. And that's what I would like for this couple to be. I don't want them to be cardboard characters, of course, but I want them to be uh, enjoyable to be like friends that you would just want to hang out with. And same time, they're trying to figure out who killed somebody. (laughs) Well, that sounds really good. Um, I'm interested in that story because it's really hard to write relationships where the uh, two protagonists receive equal weight during the course of the story. And there is a sort of witty repartee between the two of them. That's Um, right. Yeah. yeah, and, and uh, you're right. That's a it's another area for me to grow in and to learn, which is why I really with this first one, uh, we planned a murder. What I did intentionally is I just had uh, the main protagonist with the other characters surrounding him, but I also wrote it in first person. Right. So mm-hmm. so that it I, to me it was a good starting point for me just to mm-hmm. write it in first person. Now this next one will be obviously in third person and uh uh, so but you're right i I get to grow again in writing with two protagonists and Mm -hmm. and then writing each scene from their perspective from their point of view well now does your developmental editor know the direction that you're going with the next book and has he given you any warnings Uh, no 
no warning so far. I told him it's a mystery about a couple uh, yeah. similar to Nick and Nora or, you know, sort of in that vein. Wow. Um, but I haven't really told him much more than that. I'm still working out the details. I'm still outlining. I, I'm, I'm a total outliner. Oh, and really? I, oh, yeah. I need to know where it's going to end up. Like, I need mm-hmm. to know a lot of the points in between. Um, and, and maybe that's, I think, part of it's me. And then part of it's probably the kind of material it is. I, I, uh, there might be some that could write a mystery and not really know who did it and what's going to happen along the way. But I kind of need to know. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I probably would end up doing a whole lot of rewriting. More, more I than I already do. <laughs> yeah. When I was deep into my career, um, the last few years when I was starting to gear up with my writing, it was very easy for me to outline what was going to happen in the books. But once I retired, it was like, okay, you can't outline anymore. But the, the book that I wrote last summer, um, I had to at least map out all of my suspects and all of the clues that led to them and all of the clues that led away. Yes. Um, and it, that, that was very, very helpful for me. But the other books that I write, I cannot outline at all. It, it's just, it's a wall. And this is after I told students for years that they needed to outline their essays. Yes. Um, but so you're more of a hybrid. You're kind of a hybrid then. Yes, I'm a hybrid. And all my fiction is outlined. Yes. All my nonfiction is outlined. But my fiction, I just can't. Oh, how funny. How interesting. Well, and I know that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, what do they call them? Pantsers a lot of times. You know, they fly mm-hmm. by the student pants, right by the student pants. Um, they turn out great work. I just mm-hmm. don't know how you do it. I really don't know how you do it. I guess it's a, it's a process of discovery along the way. Mm-hmm. Well, now, are you also a puzzler in addition to a plotter? A puzzler is someone who writes like a scene deep into the story, and then they back up and write another scene, and they just go all around finding the pieces that they put in. Do you find yourself doing that? No, I really don't. That's such an interesting term. I hadn't thought about that. Um, No, I will go in sequential order. And what I'll do is I will pretty much outline the book, and Mm -hmm. I have certain... um, um, like signposts along the way, certain markers, story markers. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have about 38 that are that are all the way through the book so that I will know like a doorway of no return in the midpoint and different things like that along the way. Uh, things that I have learned from others, nothing original from me. And uh, once I have those in place, then I'll start filling in. Those are like big boulders or, or um, uh, big places along the way. And then I'll start filling in the, the, the scenes in between. And once I have that all out there, I will go in sequential order and I will map out each scene. I have a chart that I use. That's what I learned to do with this first novel. And it worked out so well because I wanted to make sure I included certain things in the scene. Uh, And if I just wrote it, I said, you know, if I just said, okay, well, here's my scene. I I was afraid I was going to lose or not include certain things in my scene. So I actually have a pre-writing scene document that I use and I make myself fill it out before I write because I figure if I don't know where mm-hmm. I'm going with this scene it's got to have some purpose to it it's either got to uh, move the plot forward or it's got to reveal more character or maybe yes. both mm-hmm. and if I don't know what the purpose of that scene is or if I don't know what the go- the, the character's goal is in that scene well the reader sure is not going to know so wow. I kind of make myself do a lot of that homework. So I might work on that scene, one that pre-writing scene document one day. It's about three or four pages. Mm-hmm. And then I'll use that and I'll lay that over to the side. And then I'll write the, 
write the scene. And I'll tell you, the hardest part of the whole thing is actually writing the scene. Yes. Uh, The planning. I love the planning. I mean, I love the whole thing, but the planning is easier for me. The Mm -hmm. editing is easier for me. Letting it sit and going, but it's the blank page. There you go. Okay. (laughs) Here we we go, Derek. You got to put something down, you know, and then you got to get something. A very famous author named Dean Wesley Smith says you just write the first sentence and then the next and then the next, and that helps you get onto the page as far as you need to be. And then the story will take code of you. Um, yeah, that's a great strategy. And that's really what you got to do. One step in front of the other, because you can edit something, but you can't edit nothing. No, so even if it's not what you, if even if it's not what you don't, if it's something you don't like and it's, you think, oh, this, I've lost it. I can't write. I'm the world's worst writer. This is terrible. Uh, at least you can go back and edit it. Yeah. You know? So now, when you uh, finish a scene, do you go back through your uh, your pre scene information and check it off? And make I sure do. I do. One? I do. I go back through, and sometimes what I'll do is I'll even go back and I'll circle on my draft, making uh-huh. sure I've got that. Okay, I've got that. I've got that. Did I include that? Oh, I missed that. I'll go back in and I'll write it. And then I'll let it, I'll read back through it and I'll let it sit. I give it some, I I had a professor in college in graduate school, and this was for nonfiction. Okay. So, but he said something I'll never forget. He said, good writing takes settling time and it's just sort of got to settle. And so I give it some settling time and I'll go back to it and I maybe I'll clean it up again. I'm thinking, okay, this is where I need it to be for right now. Let's go to the next scene. And then later once all those are put together, then I start getting into some really heavy duty, more editing and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, getting my master's degree, I had a professor call that objective distance. Uh, he said, yes. when you first write, you're emotional with it and you have to put it aside to gain that distance so that when you read it again, not only are you forgetting the words that you put on the page, so you're reading them anew, but you're also removing the emotion from what you're writing. Oh, I like that. Go back through. Oh, I like that. That is so true. I've never thought of it like that, but that is true. You're taking the feeling out of it and look Mm -hmm. at it, looking at it more. Oh, I really like that. I'm never going to forget that now. Yeah. Now, how far do you take your book before you turn it over to your objective editor, a developmental editor? Well, um, again, the first time around, I was just discovering how to do it. So I had taken it as far as I could. Uh, and I thought, I don't know what else to do with this. So oh. I do. I, that was the point I'd gotten to. And I thought I need to get someone else to tell me how to make this better. So I gave it to the first developmental editor. And, and I'm saying when I say she wasn't quite the right person, she did give me some good feedback. And I used wow. some of her feedback. But then I thought, man, I don't know. I think I kind of need a second opinion here. And again, I was learning how to do this. Uh-huh. Uh, in many ways, I kind of thought I was back in school and I was doing my practicum or, you know, working <laughs> my dissertation again. And I just thought I need to, I'm, I'm learning how to do this. And so I, I sent it to another one. Well, mm-hmm. the first one was a woman. Great, great person. I've heard her in conferences. The second one was a man that I never heard of. I got, mm-hmm. got him writer's digest and he didn't have any concerns that she had. She had zero. I mean, it was so interesting the way their points of view were, all the mm-hmm. concerns that she had, he had none of them. And then he had a ah. few concerns of his own. Okay. So I, again, I made some more changes. I sent it to a third person 
And now on that one, I really thought I was getting somewhere. I thought the first development editor was better. The woman, the, the female at the beginning, she was better than the second person, the guy I had. And then, so I sent to a third one. And then, um, then I, I, I sent it out to some literary agents, agencies. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and this is before I met Jimmy. I sent it out. And uh, it's just fascinating how this whole journey developed. Like you never know where your steps are going to go and all that. Mm -hmm. So I get an email back about four, five months later. I get an email. I'm just waiting. You might want this book. And I get an email back from an an agency. And it's it's from Jimmy. And he says, hey, I work at this agency. I'm the submissions manager. I would love to work on your book with you. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to make some notes. And I thought, okay, well, that's great. He's going to make some notes. They're kind of interested. I had no idea he was, what he was really doing is a full developmental edit. Right. He was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And he just shaped up and he made three passes through this book. And then he wow. said, okay, I think it's good. I think we're right where we're. And he, we did a lot of work on it. And mm-hmm. to this day, even today, I emailed him and he emailed me back. And I, I continue to tell him, uh, you know, he is a, He's a writing coach. He really coached me up on this book. And so, so it was kind of a process of discovery of finding Jimmy. And, and I've told him, I said, man, I, I need to use you some more. He goes, absolutely. So um, that's kind of how I stumbled across him. Yeah. Right. Kind of informal like actually. Okay. How, what, what steps do you follow after he gave the developmental edited book yeah. back to you? Did you use a content editor for continuity? Did you use a line editor for proofreading? What did you do? So I went that, you know, he made a lot of changes with uh, not just the content, but also yes. with the, uh, the copy editing piece of it as well. Right. Um, uh, you know, things like commas. I'm uh, yes. the world's worst with commas. Every time I think you're supposed to put a comma in, you're not supposed to. <laughs> and, and when I think you do, you know, when I think you're not, you do. And so he did a lot of those kind of things for me, you know. Uh, so he kind of he did both. And I would sit down and I would look at his and I would just uh, make the changes in mind. And then some of it was content. So, for example, one of the things he said, he goes, hey, you've got a character in here named Steel. And I, he said, I think you're missing an opportunity with Steel. He said, bring him forward. He says, I kind of see him as your Q. Now, Q was a re- is a reference to James Bond's, the guy in the James yes. Bond novels yes. who always gives him like his weapons and things like that. He says, right. I kind of see still as your Q. And I thought, oh, wow. Now, see, I had not thought of that. That's Jimmy. Mm-hmm. That's that's the, the, um, the, the power behind a developmental editor. And so... I uh, so I had to go back and write some backstory for Steel. I just had him popping in, and uh, and I had to write some back, and that was really fun. And I liked the way Steel came out. So Steel takes a little bit more prominent place in the story now, uh, mainly because he shows up early on. And Nacho, who's Ignacio, that's his real name. Nacho gets to go over and visit Steel's house and and that kind of thing. But that was not in the original in, in the original thing there. So. Uh, uh, that was the kind of thing he did. And so what I did is it, it was not a quick edit. I had to make all these little minor changes, but then I also had to rewrite and uh, um, add in some things that he suggested. Yeah. The other thing I did, (coughs) excuse me, the other thing I did, he wanted me to cut out. So I thought it would be a great idea 
to write the whole thing in first person. And then I would sprinkle in, this was my great idea. Okay. (laughs) Sprinkle in about maybe seven, eight times, some chapters written in third person. Now those chapters, right. Again, this was my great idea. Thank goodness I had Jimmy, right? Okay. So I thought it would be a great idea to sprinkle in uh, about, you know, seven, eight chapters in third person, but those were not from my protagonist's uh, point of view. They were from the bad guys point of view, because I wanted to show their motivation because, you know, even the bad guy, he is the protagonist of his own story. Everything's making sense to him. And so I wanted to kind of show what was his and theirs, their motivation. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm telling you on the very first draft I got back from Jimmy, he was like, those aren't working for you. Cut those out. (laughs) And I thought, honestly, I thought like chapter two, it was kind of short. And I thought, oh man, that was one of my darlings. You know, you got to murder your darlings, right? That was, I had to kill that one. But I, I did right away. I didn't even hesitate. I thought, and he said, if there's anything in those chapters that is important, you could put them into the rest of the book. He goes, but I don't think there is. And so I did. And if he had told me, you know, after I worked for him with a while, if he, for a while, if he had told me, Hey, put Nacho in a pink tutu, I probably would have put Nacho, my main (laughs) character in a pink tutu. But, uh, because he, he is, he was so phenomenal in helping to shape the book up. And so I did, I slide, I sliced those chapters right out. I, I cut out about six or seven chapters, but the book didn't get shorter because he had me rewrite and develop certain other characters. So it, I sent it to him at about 92,000 words and then ended up about 93,000 words. So right. right about in that same, same uh, space. Now, have you thought about turning those cut chapters from the antagonist's point of view into reader magnets? You can offer them like on book funnel and kind of thing. You know what? That's a great idea. I've kept them, of course, um, and I didn't know exactly what to do with them. I thought maybe I could turn these into some short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ruth Ware has done that. She wrote a book. I can't think of the name of it now. I love her. I love her books. Um, oh, I cannot think of the name of it now that I want to think about it. Anyway, one of her characters uh, in there, oh, I'm going to almost think of it. She did a short story on the old lady in the book. Ah. But you read the book and you don't know anything about her background. You just know mm-hmm. she seems like a miserable old person. But when you read the short story, you get a lot of her motivation. So it kind of made right. me think that she had written all that out to understand her character better, but she didn't mm-hmm. use it in the book or maybe cut it out. Right. And then she offered it to the to the readers who went to her website as a, an additional thing. So I've kind of had that in the back of my head, but I just don't know what to do with it yet. So, yeah, yeah. Well, but that's a great that's a great idea. I'm going to hang on to that for sure. Keep it keep it available and usable. Yes. Talk to me about how you you write daily, how you maintain your productivity and what gets you motivated. And, and do you have like a set number of words you do or, or, or what? So I don't have a set number of words. What I try to do is write a whole scene. Oh. Now the scene can be anywhere from like, well, maybe on the short end, maybe a thousand words uh-huh. to maybe 35 or 3,200 words. Okay. Uh-huh. So what I try to do is write a scene. Now, on a really highly productive day, I'll write that scene in the morning and I've got my pre-writing scene guide over to my left and I'm writing. And so I write that scene in the morning and then that afternoon 
or later that evening, I work on another scene, pre-writing scene. Mm-hmm. Now, if I don't get to it, well, then I don't have anything to write the next day. So then I got to start with my pre-writing scene that day. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and right now I'm a little off in the summer uh, with writing because we are, and my, my office is all jumbled up behind me and everything because uh, we've switched rooms around in our house and the girls used to be actually, they were sharing this room and now they each have their own room. And so I've moved in here is my office and so everything's kind of in disarray and and so uh, we've been taking some trips so my writing is a little off but generally when they go back to school and I do I teach the girls I homeschool the girls half time in a partnership with the school and so but generally speaking uh when uh I'm able to um which is usually during the fall and spring I'll do the write the scene in the morning and then write the next planning of the scene in the afternoon or the mm-hmm. evening. Yeah. yeah. So in your, when you're, when you're not in your summertime and a move within the house has greatly disrupted everything and you're not yeah. on vacation or anything like that, do you have, it's like I do my pre-writing and then I write and, or you do us, you do your pre-writing on the previous day and you write. I do the pre-writing on the previous day. Right. So you do your yeah, pre-writing, right. then you write, then you pre-write and then you write. That's right. And I follow that scene by scene by scene by scene. Mm -hmm. Now, occasionally I'll get to a scene and I'll say, oh, you know what? I need to go back to a previous scene. Right. Mm -hmm. I thought of something new, Uh, even though I am very much a a pantser, I mean, a a plotter and very much um, working off of a uh, an outline. I um, I give myself freedom to go back and change anything that that tool of plotting is to serve me, not for me to serve it. Right. And so I always give myself freedom to go back and change things. And if, if on my outline, it says this character is going to do something and I get to that point, I'm like, no, nope, I don't want that. Character. I change it right away. And it might affect the plot later on, but I can change that as well. So, and I, I throw that whole plot out, that whole, um, everything I've plotted out, I kind of throw it out once I've written the first draft. Right. Mm-hmm. Then it's just sort of a free for all. Did you do your own cover or did you hire a cover designer? Oh, that's a great question. I love talking about the people that have helped me. Okay, so this cover uh, came, this is not my own cover. I would never be able to do anything like this. Uh-huh. So I uh, found through somebody else, I found a, uh, a, uh, a book, a graphic artist, a graphic designer, and um, she works, her name is Maria. And she works at a company called Beauty Books, B E A U T E Books. It's got an uh-huh. E, not like, dot com. They make the best covers. I love them. I put her, I recognized her in the acknowledgments in the back. Um, wow. I've got a website in here. Um, she did this. And so we talked about this cover. And a chair, a psychologist chair, does play a prominent role in the book. Ah. It's killed right here in that chair. And so, she gave me two different designs. One had a, uh, an illustration of Nacho and the main, the femme fatale, Zabie. Uh-huh. It had them on there. And then she had this one. So she gave me two options to look at. She goes, if you don't like either one of those, we do something else. Well, I like this one right away. And I thought the other one looked made the book look like the story was going to be too much of a romance and not wow. a mystery. So, um, so I went with this one here. She goes, the other thing we can do with this one, she says, is that when you do the sequel, and I do have a sequel in mind for this. Oh, good. <laughs> uh-huh. When we, uh-huh. when we do the sequel, 
She goes, I can change out the object right here. So oh. then there's some continuity going. Branding. And that's right, for branding. And then I put it on the end here too, on the, on the spine. Yeah. So that uh, if it's on a shelf, you can just see. And so they'll, they'll look kind of similar in that with that one object right there. And I have kind of already an idea in mind for the object in the middle, but I got to get into the story more to know for sure. Uh-huh. But her name was Maria and she's at beautybooks.com with a B-E-A-U-T-E books. Right. Yeah. Now you've, you've talked about the, the book with the, the similar Nick and Nora, Nora Charles. Charles, yes. who are going to the, to the uh, hotel. And now you've mentioned that you have a sequel in mind for this one. How do you handle working with that? Are you trying to focus only on the, the Nick and Nora? I have, I'm sorry, I'm calling it Nick and Nora. Are you focusing yeah. only on that? And then just when you have an idea, you jot it down for the uh, sequel? Right. I, I really do. I have, I don't, I, down over there, I have a journal that I carry with me. I mean, like oh. I religiously carry this thing with me everywhere to dinner. I may carry it, you know, nine times out of 10 and not write anything with in it. And then on that 10th time I, I write in it. I even carry it to church. People think I'm taking notes in church. <laughs> I'm, I'm plotting out a murder. Cause I'll get an idea. And I'm like, Oh no, no, oh. not during the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get some good ideas during that time. And so I write it down. And, uh, so I'll, I'll write these things down and, and, um, uh, for whatever pops into my head. And so what I wanted to do, I had really thought initially I would go ahead and go straight to the sequel for the, the Nacho Blanco sequel, straight to that. But then I got this other idea and it was re- I kind of started working on it and it started falling into place, the plotting of the 38 markers. And, that's, and so I kind of got excited about it and I wanted to take a break from Nacho. But to be, to be yeah. honest with you, you know, it's, you, I really had to think when writing, a, this is a young adult novel. Mm-hmm. And so I really had to think in terms of a young adult. Right. Uh, I am way past those years now. And yeah. so I really had to put a lot of mental energy. I had to go back and talk to my son a lot. He's 27. Mm-hmm. And he would say, yeah. oh, no, dad, no, that's not what they would do. And, <laughs> uh, and but one of the things I did, two things were kind of the same that I made sure I wanted to do was not, even though this is sort of in that, Pulp Fiction vibe, not to make it corny and use too many of those kind of slangs from that time period, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, uh, like Dame. I didn't. I never used yeah. the word Dame. That, that's an outdated thing. It's, it makes it too corny. And the other thing I didn't do, uh, which I, I read about, I read not to do this, and so I, I listened to, it, and that is to not use too many contemporary um, YA colloquialisms. Right. Because those things go in and out real fast. Yes. One, if they're saying something now, uh, you know, three years from now, they don't say it anymore. Six months from now, they don't say That's it. That's right. That's right. right. So I really shied away from those kinds of things. I think I had one, um, one phrase that I use. I got it. I actually got it from my son. And when I sent it to the third developmental editor, she goes, ah, I would cut this out. She goes, that'll be gone before you know it. So I did, uh-huh. I cut it out. But uh-huh. I really just got interested in doing this other one. I'm still very much interested in doing uh, another Nacho novel, but I got very interested in doing this other one. I think I needed something different. I just wanted to try my hand at something different. I, I do. I, I write fantasy that has mystery in it. I write pure fantasy and I write my historical mysteries and I have to take a break. Yes. Uh, 
I wrote several short stories in a row in my medieval fantasy. And I'm, I'm going to have to go to something else before I go back to that. Um, you just need to take a break. break. Yeah. 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 You need to take a break. And I, I totally yeah. understand that you invest so much with those, those characters and those people. And it's like, uh, after a while, you're just like, okay, I love you guys, but I need to take a break from you. <laughs> <laughs> I, love how you say we'll, that. We'll I love you guys because you do fall in love with your characters you do i there i've lived with them for so long you know one of the um i don't know one of the critiques i've gotten back from some people that have read it have said they've said oh that was a lot of characters she goes they said i had a way i had a hard time keeping up with so many characters well to me i've lived with these guys for so long they're wow. they're all so familiar to me uh that i didn't realize i had so many characters in there but apparently i do so it's, that's something good for me to, to fall back on. Now, the good thing about doing a sequel is many of the characters in here will already be familiar to someone who reads the second one. They don't have to, you know, invest so much energy in learning new people. Did you do a cast of characters for your readers? At the I did. Oh, oh, with the front of the page. Oh, I did it for me. Like I, I, okay. I, I did. But no, that's a great. Do you do that? Sometimes. If I have like 30 plus characters, then I think I better help my reader out with this and, and line that up for him. Um, I think I've thought about that for this next novel. Now, this next one's very much more of a traditional. And they used to do that a lot yes. where they, in traditional mysteries, you know, during the golden age. They would give you a list of characters and they'd also give you a map. Of yes, the, the maps on the back of those Dale paperbacks yeah, yes, yes look at my mother's still paperbacks and i'll go like "Ooh, i want to go to this island <laughs> right that's right so i've kind of thought about doing that for this next one and uh martin edwards has written you know he's the british like the british historian of mysteries mm -hmm. and um for british mysteries it's martin edwards and for american mysteries it's otto pensler in new york but yeah. uh, martin edwards has written um a number of, uh, he's an attorney by trade, I think, but he's written a number of mysteries himself. And mm -hmm. one, on one of his last ones, I think it was called Mortimer's Hall or something like that, Mortman's Hall. He, um, I, I have that title completely wrong. I just, I know I just trashed it out, but he actually put in the back, I kind of like this idea too, a list of clues. Ah. So that if you miss them going through the novel, here's all the clues. So it was like, right. he said, that's an old thing that they used to do. In the back of the book, here's all your clues. And you go back and go, oh, I missed that. And I kind of like that idea as well. You had just finished what you were saying about the clues in the backs of the book. Oh, yes, yes. That was Martin Edwards. He put a little clue sh uh, sheet in the back of the book just in case you missed the clues along the way. And I thought that would be very uh, fun. I, when I read his book, I went back and I was like, oh, yeah, I missed that one. I missed that one. So, you know, that's a part of the fun of meeting, reading a mystery is to yeah. see and beat the detective mm -hmm. in solving the mystery. And, and I tried to do that with, um, with my own book, with We Plan a Murder, to see if the reader could figure out who killed Lincoln Hardcastle before Nacho reveals it. And so right. I think I made that clue sheet in the back like he did in my next yeah, one. Yeah, that would be a good idea. Um, now. The last part of the interview that I wanted to ask you about was sending me show notes and links. Um, and oh. I need a cover image. Okay. And I will need, uh, I hate to call it this, a headshot of you. Oh, yeah, sure. I can do <laughs> I that. I don't like to call it because it sounds yeah. like boom, boom. I know, right, right. Yeah. No, I'll send you the one that I use for the book. 
Okay, great. Yeah, I'll send that to you. So a headshot, hold on, I better make a note of this here. So you need a headshot and the cover. And then um, you said some links. Yes, a link to where we can find your book. Okay. If you have good. a website, a link to that. Mm -hmm. um, any, was there anything else that you would want to say that we did not discuss? Um, you know what? I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, my heart is full of gratitude mm -hmm. uh, to be able to do this. Um, this is, it's so much fun writing a story that I hope other people will like. It's a uh -huh. lot of fun learning. It's a journey of discovery. And again, I don't read books the same. I don't watch movies the same. I like knowing kind of what the director or what the author had in mind when they were doing uh -huh. it. I, I watch them and I go, oh, that's such a great way they did that. I'll, I'll give you a real quick example. I watched that movie called uh, Ford versus Ferrari, not a mystery, but Ford versus right. Ferrari mm -hmm. by Ron Howard. And yes. about three, of, as he goes from, now see, I think in terms of like four acts and right. not three. So I, I, I break up the two, the middle acts that some people do. So as he goes from act three to act four to the final battle, which is where they're going to have that car race, he needs a lay of the land scene. What is, what are we as the viewer going to be anticipating when we watch that? I love how he did that. He had, I can't think of the main character's name, the guy that was driving the Ford. He had his son, he gets up in the middle of the night and he has his son, uh, he, he, the main character walks out there and sees his son drawing a picture in the middle of the night. Uh -huh. And he's drawing a, the racetrack. And he says, dad, do I have this right? His son's thinking about the race. His dad's going to be in the next day. He said, yeah, you do. You're going to, we're going to go through here and I'm going to go through this tunnel and I got to make this turn. And he describes it all for his son. And I went, ah, oh, I love how he did that. Right. He just did that for us. He gave yeah. us a lay of the land. So I love being able to do that. And then I learn different ways to do that as well. So mm -hmm. I, I love, I love the writing life. It is so much fun. I, my, like I said, my heart is full of gratitude that I get to be mm -hmm. involved in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, well, great. Um, thank you for this interview. Thank um, you. As soon as I finish everything that I need to finish, and it may take me a couple of days, I will send you links so that you can work on your promotions. Sure. So thank you so much, Derek. I really appreciate it too. It's been so much fun. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much. Sure. Bye. Bye, Bye. Thanks for listening to The Rock Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Renee Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.